Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to visit southernhillslv.com to watch or listen to past messages. We hope you enjoy today's message from God's Word. We are glad you're here. We're in the book of Philippians chapter number 4. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there. Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 10. And we're going to go through the end of the chapter today. Today is the final sermon in a sermon series entitled The Happy Thief. It is a verse-by-verse study through the book of Philippians. And if you've been with us these last 9 to 10 weeks, we are glad to see you back uh, for this special occasion. And as we study this passage, we're, con- we're contemplating this main thought. And that is this. That you, as a child of God, you as a created being of the Lord, have been gifted by God something very special. It's your inheritance. That gift is joy, the gift of happiness. In fact, you're supposed to enjoy it and live in it every single day. But there is a villain out there who is attempting to steal your daily portion of joy and happiness. Ten villains specifically that the Apostle Paul addresses in his book to the Philippians. Ten villains who are attempting to steal your joy and take away your happiness. And so what we've been doing in our study is exposing all ten villains and saying, watch out, don't allow them to steal your daily joy. And today we arrive in the tenth villain in the final sermon in the sermon series. The tenth villain, we entitle him... The Joy Robber. Today's sermon is all about contentment. And we're going to see that this 10th villain wants you to live with a poverty perspective. Poverty perspective. Say it with me. Poverty perspective. Someone who has a poverty perspective always sees themselves as having never enough. Why? Because joy is not something that will happen to you when something happens for you. Hear that again. Joy is not something that will happen to you when something happens for you. Joy is an emotional state that is obtained when you are in Christ. I have to explain by pointing to the book of Philippians. Look at Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10 as an example. Do you see what it says? Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10 begins by saying, but I rejoiced in the Lord. I had plenty of joy in the Lord. Actually, if you study throughout the book of Philippians, you're going to see the phrase joy in the Lord or rejoiced in the Lord or joy in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, but it's always connected to being in the Lord. That joy is a state of mind being found in a person. Not in power, in a person, not in position, in a person, not in possession. Joy is found in Christ. And so we grab this concept and we understand this concept mentally. But today, before we want to go, I want to share with you how you can grab a hold of this concept and live in it emotionally and daily and truly live out the concept of joy in Christ. Why? Because joy is not found when something nice happens to you. Some of us are waiting for joy. We're waiting for the circumstances to all fit in the right place. And when all the circumstances fit in the right place, suddenly I'll be happy. Pastor, I'll be happy when I graduate. Pastor, I'll be happy when I get that promotion. Pastor, I'll be happy whenever I get that new job. Pastor, I'll be happy when Bitcoin uh, arrives at a certain level. Pastor, I'll be happy if a certain man is in the White House or a certain woman is in the White House. Then I'll be happy. 
I'll be happy when justice is finally served. I'll be happy when she finally comes back to me. I'll be happy when he comes back to me. I'll be happy when they go away from me. Pastor, I'll be happy then. And for us, so many of us, joy is an elusive dream. It's an ethereal concept. It's like smoke wafting by and we try to grab it and then it's gone the moment we try to obtain it. Joy seeps through our hands like water being pooled out of our fingertips. Joy, we can't hold on to it. It goes by and goes away so very quickly. We call it the human condition. At least I do. I think it starts when you're like three or four years old. Right? Because whenever you're younger than that, the only thing that makes you happy is if you're you know, your tummy is full and your diaper is changed. And, and then you stop crying and things are fine as long as you're around mama or daddy. And then you turn four years old and you, you're happy. You're a happy four-year-old, but then you learn about kindergarten. And you think to yourself, I can't wait till I get into kindergarten. How many of you have four-year-old in the home right now? Raise your hand. God, you have a four-year-old in the home? Raise your hand real high. How many of you have a four-year-old? Okay, like a couple of us. God bless you. It's not easy. Four-year-old, you know, running around, doing what four-year-olds do. And at some point, the four-year-old will say, I can't wait to go to kindergarten. And you think to yourself, all of my children did it. I can't wait to go to kindergarten. Think to yourself, no, no, no. Life is good now. Right now, all you get to do is watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse all day long. You don't have to worry about homework. You don't have to worry about anything. You don't have to pay bills. And the moment you arrive at kindergarten, your life starts, and it starts to be over. That's what it starts. But a kindergartner is so excited, aren't they? They get a backpack, and they got the backpack, and they've got a transformer on the back of the backpack, and inside they have their own lunch, and they go into the room, and they're ready to start life. And they think to themselves, I'm not going to be happy. I'll finally be happy when I go to kindergarten. And then they get into kindergarten. And they think, I can't wait, and I'll finally be happy when I go home from kindergarten. That's what a five-year-old thinks. And then a five-year-old looks at the older kids, and they see the older kids after kindergarten graduation say, man, you're seven years old. You're a big kid. I can't wait till I'm a big kid. I'll be happy when I'm a big kid. And then you become a seven-year-old and you think, I can't wait till I'm double digits. How many of you remember double digits? When you were a kid, that was going to be a big deal. How many of you remember, like, man, I can't wait till I'm double Raise your hand. How many of you remember this? Len, you remember this? You're like triple digits. How do you... Double digits, I can't wait. To, and then you become double digits, you're 10 years old. And you're like, I'm 10 years old. And you're happy for like a second until you hear about middle school. And you're like, I'm going to be in middle school. I'm going to be in middle school. I'm going to be in middle school because in middle school I'll be happy because everybody in middle school is happy. All of the time. I can't wait till middle school. And then I'll finally be happy. And then you end up in middle school and you look around and everybody, the problem with middle school is everybody there is in middle school. And they're terrible people at that age. If you're here today in your sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, you, I love you. I do. I'm your pastor. You're a terrible person. <laughs> you are. You're ter- and you're just realizing how bad you really are. You're a terrible person. And, and, and everybody around you is terrible. And weird things are happening around you. And weird things are happening inside of you. And everything is weird. And you're weird. And mom and dad are weird. And the world is weird. And you think, I can't wait till I get out of middle school and go into high school. Because in high school, everything gets better. 
I'll be happy in high school, and as soon as I'm a freshman, I'll be happy. And then you turn a freshman, and now you're thinking to yourself, I'll be happy when I get a car when I turn 16. That's when I'll be happy. I'll be happy when I finally turn 16. And you turn 16, and you get a car, and you think, I can't wait till I'm 18, and I graduate. And as soon as I graduate, I'll be happy. And then you graduate, and you think, I can't wait till I start my career or go to college. Or you start your career and go to college, and you think, man, I can't wait till I get out of my career and get out of college. I can't wait till I get married. And then you get married, and you think, I can't wait until we have kids. Then I'll be happy. And then you have kids, and you think, I can't wait till they leave. It's true. Can't wait till they go, till they leave the house. And then they leave the house. It's so pathetic. They leave the house and you think, I can't wait till they come home. Come home. Call me. Why don't you call me? Why don't you call? Why don't you call? What am I kidding? He's not watching this. He doesn't care. And then we can't wait till retirement, and then we retire, and we can't wait till what? The grave? Some of you just retired. You're like, yeah, oh, no. That's the next step, y'all. <laughs> like, and what do we do? As I've stated before in previous sermons, we wish away today on the promises of what tomorrow might bring. We're not content we don't find joy in the moment. We don't find happiness now. And this is such a tragic thing because God has created you in this world as a child of God to inherit and live in a place and a state of happiness and joy. And Paul knew this. And Paul is trying to tell the Philippians to live in joy. This is why Paul tells even Timothy, his young mentee. He tells him in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, look... Godliness with contentment is great gain. If you want to have a lot, here's how you have a lot. Be godly and content, and you'll have everything you need. And so Paul says to the Philippians, ironically so, from prison, he writes to people who are free and says, hey, do you want to be happy like I am? Because contentment is packaged with some incredible perks. <laughs> All I want for you before you leave today is to walk out with contentment. That's all I want. Because contentment is packaged with some incredible perks. You say, what perks come along with contentment, Pastor? Tell me what they are. I want to know. Good thing, because that's what I'm about to tell you from verse, 15, from verse 10 all the way to verse 20. The three perks that come along with contentment. Number one, number one, do you want to know what it is? If you do, say amen. Number one, supernatural flexibility. Say it with me. Supernatural flexibility. Say it again, say it again. Supernatural flexibility. My daughter Scarlett took gymnastics, and she would do things when she was taking gymnastics that were supernatural. If I were to do them, they would either break me or break my bones because I'm not flexible physically. Many humans are not flexible emotionally, spiritually, or mentally, or relationally. The only way they believe they're gonna have happiness 
is if in a very rigid mindset, this happens and 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 this happens. And if all of these things happen, I will then maybe possibly be happy. When you have contentment, you have a supernatural superpower of flexibility to actually be happy no matter what's going on. That's what he goes on to say. Look at verse 10 through 12. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now in this last, this last, your care for me has flourished again. Though surely you did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere in all things. And I've learned to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about the supernatural ability to be flexible regardless of the situation Paul finds himself. He has joy no matter what. Let's walk through the passage and I'll explain. He begins in verse 10 by saying, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished once again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Paul is, is sending a thank you note at the end of his letter. The thank you note is because there was a guy named Epaphroditus who came from Philippi all the way to Rome where he was in prison. And when he came, he told him all the things that was going on in the church. That's what we've been studying the last nine, nine weeks. But one of the things that Epaphroditus did was not only bring news from the church at Philippi, he brought a bag of money from Philippi. The bag of money was for Paul and for the ministry. You see, back then, Paul was in the Roman prison, and in a Roman prison, there were no uh, social safety nets, you understand. There was no uh, caring for the, uh, for the downtrodden in the Roman prison. If outsiders did not take care of you, you died in a Roman prison. So Paul not only received these gifts from the churches because he was an evangelist, he actually received ministry offerings from these churches for the ministry he, he had done. And so what Paul did, Paul, remember, was a preacher like I am, but I'm a preacher who is a pastor. A preacher who is a pastor preaches to one congregation all of the time. That's what I do when you're the church. A preacher who is an evangelist like Billy Graham or like uh, the Apostle Paul, preaches to all sorts of churches all over the world and doesn't stay in one church. Does this make sense? Amen? And so the Apostle Paul was doing just that. He went all around the world starting different churches, and what they would do is they would all support him at different times so that the ministry and the gospel could spread. So he says, I really want to thank you. He's basically sending a thank you note. I, I rejoice in the Lord greatly. I am joyful in Christ because you cared for flourishing again. That is, you gave once again. Though you surely did care, but lacked opportunity. Thank you for the gifts that you gave. I know that you wanted to, but earlier on, months ago, you could not give, verse 11. Now, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Now, this is the weirdest part of this entire passage. He begins by saying, thank you so much for sending the money, but I really was not in need of it. That's a weird thank you card, right? Imagine somebody gives you a Christmas card and you write a thank you card. Thank you so much, already had three. And you send it back. Like that'd be kind of rude, right? But that's what Paul ultimately is doing here. Thank you so much for giving, but not that I speak in respect of wants, because I've learned I actually don't need your money. Don't need your gifts. I don't need anything. 
because I've learned to be content. He takes this thank you as an opportunity to teach them a principle about contentment. That no matter what you have, you can actually be filled with joy. Look, he goes on. I know how to be abased. Oh, by the way, look what he says. I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. No matter what state you find yourself, you can be content. Unless it's California. Look, man, you know it's true. That's why you moved here. All right, let's move on. (laughs) But it's true. But it's true. That's why you're here. Verse 12. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. He said, I've lived long enough with Jesus that whenever I have lots of things and lots of possessions and lots of power and lots of money, I'm happy. And when I have none of those things, I still have Jesus and I'm still happy. I've learned no matter what situation I'm in, I'm happy. Lack doesn't scare him and wealth doesn't impress him. He's okay because he has Jesus. And that's when he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christians, Christians, how many Christians in the room have heard this Bible verse before? You've seen it on Facebook. It's a Facebook meme scripture. How many of you have known this one? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Raise your hand. How many of you seen this? Right? It's on coffee mugs and everything. It's awesome, right? And it's a great verse. It's a great verse by itself. I believe it's a great verse by itself. It reminds us that in the power of Christ is how I can do anything. And apart from the power of Christ, I can do nothing. But we also must understand the context that the verse is found in. He's talking about the supernatural ability to be flexible as it relates to joy and contentment. He's saying, I've learned no matter what happens to me, I can truly be strong enough in Christ to be happy. So I can be in prison and be happy. I can be free and be happy. I can have a job and be happy. I can have no job and be happy. I can be hungry and be happy. I can be full and be happy. Because happiness is not determined by circumstance. Happiness is a, is a mindset. This is what John Milton was attempting to say, the great English literature hero. He wrote, the mind is its own place and itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. The mindset Have you ever seen somebody who had everything in the world you could ever want, but they were miserable? And then have you ever seen somebody who had virtually nothing, but somehow they seemed to be joyful? It's because we as humans falsely believe that if we put all the right pieces in all the right places and the circumstances align perfectly, that that equation will give us joy. It's not true. It's not true. You can see it at Disneyland. Disneyland is referred to as the happy. Disneyland is referred to as the hap. The happiest. What is Disneyland? What is it referred to as? Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. False. It's bad advertising. It's not true. Happiest place on earth is Southern Hills Church right here. Hey, hey, all right. Disneyland's the second happiest place. That's what they need to put on the moniker. 
Little asterisk, first did Southern Hills. Okay, happiest place on earth. But the problem is you go to Disneyland and inevitably you'll walk through Disneyland, you'll be looking at Fantasyland, you'll ride Peter Pan, the teacups are there, you're walking around the corner and there is a seven-year-old. And the seven-year-old has a Pluto t-shirt, Mickey Mouse ears, they've got chocolate still stained on their chin from breakfast, they've got light up shoes, their shoes light up. Their shoes light up. When they move their shoes, their sho that didn't happen for us. Do you know why? Because we're old, and now their shoes light up. But nonetheless, the seven-year-old finds themselves prostrate on the ground, slamming their fists on the blacktop and screaming, I want a balloon. Tears coming down their face. Ah, ah, ah. And you want to say, you're in the happiest place on earth. Why? Because happiness is not a possession. Happiness is not a place. Happiness is not power. Happiness is not prestige. Happiness is a mindset in a person. My daughter, Savannah, we went to Disneyland um, growing up with the kids a lot and uh, we would leave Sunday after church because I would preach all day Sunday and then Sunday nights. We used to have a Sunday night service uh, for those who weren't able to be here and deep Bible study. And then we would leave Sunday night about 7 o'clock and we would drive all the way to California and get there about midnight. And uh, when we would go to Disneyland on Monday, which was, our, which is our family, was our family day, we would uh, get there Sunday night very late. And I always liked to stay in the uh, inexpensive hotels around Disneyland because I like to save my money for churros, <laughs> all of it. And so we'd stay in the little cheap motels all around Disneyland and walk to Disneyland. And I remember one time we, we booked a, a room I had never been to before. Um, I didn't do much research on it, but it was like 35 bucks, no exaggeration for the night, 35 bucks. It was a high class place, you know what I mean? When we arrived on property, I had never stayed in a hotel or motel that was so sketch. I'm telling you, it was rough. I mean, outside of Whiskey Pete's, I stayed there one night. How many of you know what Whiskey Pete's is? How many of you stayed there and survived? Raise your hand. It's nobody. Oh, one person? God bless you. We're going to have to share stories. It's scary. So we walk into this motel, and I'll never forget, it was about midnight. I checked in. We opened the door from the outside, inside, and I'll never forget what I saw. I mean, it was, it was, it was something. You turned on the light, and it went. <laughs> Things scurried away, you know what I mean? <laughs> Got my three little kids. They're just waking up. The portraits on the wall were like a Freddy Krueger and Jason, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know if they were, but it looked like that to me. There was all cinder block walls, cinder block walls. And where the window was, I remember seeing bars around the window. And my kids are just waking up. Savannah. Anybody know Savannah? Most positive, sweet, good. She's such a sweetie. Savannah was waking up. She's about five years old at the time. And she wiped away the sleep from her eyes. And she looked around and she said... Wow, it like we in prison. <laughs> she had thought, she really in her mind had thought that dad had sprung 
for some kind of a themed hotel. Like this was Pirates of the Caribbean, you know what I mean? Like we're in something, and I looked at her, I'm like, that's right, honey. And you might see little Disney characters crawling around. Just be nice to them. Be nice to those characters. It's a mindset, you see? She went to sleep with a happy smile on her face. Why? Why? Because contentment is a state of mind. Can I tell you this briefly before we move on? The quality of your life is not dependent on how much you make, but rather how much you enjoy. Las Vegas Christian, the quality of your life is not dependent on how much you make, but rather how much you enjoy. First and foremost, all I want you to have is contentment. And if you walk out of here with contentment, you'll have one of these three perks or all three. The first perk is supernatural flexibility. I can be happy no matter what's going on in my life. Number two, circular generosity. What's the second perk of contentment? I want you to say circular generosity. What's the second perk of contentment? What is circular generosity? It means this. When you're content, you become a generous person. And the more generous you are, you kickstart the wheel of generosity, and God's generosity pours back on you. Let's go ahead and see what the Bible says in verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. So Paul, remember, is writing this letter at the end. He says, thank you for sending money. Not that I needed it, because I've learned I'm happy no matter what. But then again, again says, but really, truly, good job in sending money to our ministry. Good job in taking care of us in this way. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, Macedonia is in Greece. Philippi is also in Greece. But Paul, while he was in Greece, started lots of churches in Athens, in Berea, in Corinth, in, in Philippi, in Laodicea. All these areas, Paul started lots of churches. And so he says, when, when we first left Greece, Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. Now, that's weird, isn't it? Paul is telling the church, hey, you guys have been giving faithfully to our evangelistic ministry for, for years, the other churches stopped giving. So Paul is not only celebrating their generosity, he's making a connection between contentment and generosity. That their generosity had been consistent because of their contentment. Do you struggle with contentment like I do? Anybody? Like really, I mean I really do, I struggle with contentment. Being happy with what I have. I mean for example, I have a Honda Civic. I love my Honda Civic, love my Honda Civic. And then one of our church members, one of our church members said, do you want to take a ride with me in my new Tesla? Now I hate my Honda Civic. I hate it, piece of junk. I'm driving around in my Honda. Before, I'm like, look at the gift from God. God is so good. Give me this beautiful Honda Civic, this beautiful, you know, beautiful car. And then I ride it. Now I'm driving around. It's a piece of junk. I hate my car because there's a Tesla out there. You know what I mean? Anybody else struggle with this? There's an entire industry that is built on this concept. It's called advertising and marketing. They, they make billions of dollars by making you discontent with what you already have so that you will not be happy until you get that. And then you get it and you're like, I'm happy. I'm not happy until you get what's next. 
It's 10 years old when I understood this, 10 years old. My dad had given me a brand new pair of tennis shoes. Brand new pair of tennis, like they were great tennis shoes because I loved basketball at 10 because I had great hopes of becoming a great basketball player. Don't laugh at me, I'll laugh at you. <laughs> it's 10 years old. Got a pair of basketball shoes to be better on the basketball court. And then I was 10 years old and it was February of 1991. The slam dunk contest. Anybody remember the slam? Man, when I was a kid, everybody watched the slam dunk contest. And a man named D. Brown changed my life. Anybody remember D. Brown? Anybody remember what he did? You remember what he did? What did he do? Yeah, he pumped his sneakers. <laughs> if you don't know what pump the sneakers means, it means you're way too old or way too young. D. Brown, in 1991, Reebok, I didn't know how business world worked at that point, but Reebok paid him a lot of money to do exactly what he was about to do. Before he went to slam the ball down the hole, he sat down on one knee and he pumped his sneaker. He pumped his sneakers. He took his sneakers and he pumped them with air. And it was the coolest thing any 10-year-old had ever seen before. Then he picked up a basketball and he slam dunked the basketball in such a way that every single 10-year-old in all of the Western world said, I don't know what those are, but I need those shoes now. And so I looked at my dad, I said, I need those shoes. And he said, why? I said, because if you pump the basketball on the shoe, you, it, it, you can dunk a basketball. And he said, you're four foot one and a little white boy. <laughs> it's not going to help you. But I was convinced that it would help. I needed those shoes and I needed them bad. Did I ever get them? No. That's why I'm not a basketball player to this day, actually. <laughs> those shoes. Look at what it goes on to say in verse number 16. For even in Thessalonica you sent aid once and again to my necessities. While he was down in Thessalonica, Paul had received multiple financial benefits and multiple financial gifts from the church of Philippi. But he has to double down in verse 17 and says, not that I seek a gift. Understand what Paul is saying to the Philippians. I don't need your money. He said, I don't need a gift, but I seek that fruit abounds to your account. I'm thrilled, Paul says to the Philippians, that you've been generous with the Lord's work because your generosity demonstrates your spiritual maturity. Let me say it again. Generosity demonstrates spiritual maturity. You say, man, I want to prove how spiritually mature I am. Look at how much Bible I know. It does not matter how much of the Bible you know. You are a spiritually immature person if you are a stingy person. You say, but I'm 78 years old, and I've been in church since I was in Sunday school. But if you're a stingy Scrooge, you have zero spirituality. How dare you? I'm sorry it offends you. The truth can do that to people. Generosity demonstrates spiritual maturity. He's saying, I don't need your money. Some of you, well, I, I don't need your money is what Paul is saying. 
Paul is saying, but I want you to give. Here's why. I want you to give to the poor. I want you to give to others. I want you to give to the work of God. I want you to give to the ministries. I want you to give, give, give. Why? I don't need your money, but you need to grow up spiritually, and it helps. I'll, I'll be very blunt. I'll make the point for us, Southern Hills. Be very clear about this. Southern Hills Church does not exist because you financially give to it. How dare you? Southern Hills does not exist because people financially get. Southern Hills exists because God wants it to be here. No matter how many millions you give, if God doesn't want it to be here, it goes away. And no matter how little you give, if God wants it to be here, it stays. You say, well, I thought the reason we gave was to keep the church around. No, friend, the reason you give is to obey God and for you to grow spiritually. It's an act of worship to God that honors him. We're going to see that in a moment. And what it also does is it helps you to become content. Does this make sense? This is what the scripture is saying. Now, look what goes on. It's very, very important. By the way, this idea of giving, giving and receiving relating to maturity, we understand this, right? At Christmas time, whenever you're seven years old, what is Christmas all about? When you're seven years old, Christmas is all about what I get. But once you turn 37 years old, what is it about? I hope. It's about what you can give. You get more excited the older you get about what you're giving, not what you're getting. And so it is true when it comes to the work of God, and that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Look what he says in verse 18. Indeed, I have, an I have all and abound. Paul is saying, I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things that you sent to me. And now he tells us that those offerings that Paul received from the Philippians, they were, a, they were pleasing to God. He calls them a sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. It pleases God when you're generous. When you have a family member who can't afford to take care of their children for Christmas, and you've done it over and over and over again, it pleases God when you go and take care of those who do not take care of themselves. It pleases God to take care of the poor. It pleases God for us to take care of the work of God. It pleases God for us to be generous in spirit. This is all a gift from God to us to be a gift to others. When someone is content, they give. So the point being, when somebody is content with what they have, they become generous. When somebody is discontent, they become stingy. Have you ever noticed that the stingiest people in the world are the most miserable people in the world? Have you ever noticed this? And the most generous people in the world are the most joyous people in the world? And some of you think to yourselves, you think, I'll tell you, Pastor, I'll be, I'm going to be generous one day when I become rich. No, you won't. Generosity doesn't happen when suddenly your ship comes in. Boy, I'll tell you, when my stocks get to a certain level or when this investment finally comes in, that's when I'm really going to be generous with others. No, because you can be generous when you have nothing and you can be stingy when you have everything. Generosity is a position of the mind that's built in a place called contentment. You get to a place where you say, everything I have is all that I need. In fact, I have more than I need. Now I want to give to others. It's the cyclical nature of generosity and contentment. So it doesn't matter if you have a little or if you have a lot. If you're stingy, stingy, some of us don't like that word. By the way, some might say, how do I know if I'm stingy? Here's how you know. Here's how you know. You ready? People have told you. <laughs> you're cheap. You're cheap, right? 
Somebody on the way out of the service today told me uh, when we would go camping, my mother would always make the same joke. My mother would always look over to her husband and say, hey, they're, they're talking to you. He would, she, he would say what? The birds. Cheep, 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 cheep. <laughs> cheep, cheep. See, if people, and I love you, I know this is going to be hurtful for some of you, but it's good that somebody's telling you the truth, I'll be that guy. If you're always being joked about being stingy or cheap, it's because people are nicely telling you you're stingy and cheap. And I know you've been lied to. You think to yourself, I'll be generous when I have a certain amount. No, you'll get to a certain amount and you'll still not be generous. And here's why. Because something must have happened to you at some point. I don't know, I'm not a digging your psyche psychologist. All I am is something may have happened to you where you have to build this layer of protection financially. And so you do so in such a way to your own detriment. And you're cheap. You're a stingy person. You don't help others. And sometimes when you're trying to help somebody else, you think to yourself, they should help themselves. And listen to me. And that's why you're miserable. That's why you're sad all the time. You're sad. I don't care. I, like Paul said, I don't desire a gift. I could care less. I'm fine. I'm content. I want you to be happy. And with happiness comes contentment. With contentment comes generosity. L look at Scrooge, will you? Is Ebenezer Scrooge a joyful man or a, a, a sad man? He's a sad man until what? Until he becomes content. And he becomes a, I, I love what it was written about Scrooge. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand to the grindstone Scrooge. Listen to the great words of Charles Dickens. A squeezing, wrenching, grasping, scraping, clutching, covetous old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had struck out a generous fire, secret and self-contained and solitary as an oyster. When his nephew Fred comes to the door so famously portrayed by Donald Duck. And he looks at Scrooge and he says to Scrooge, what right have you to be merry? Or when Scrooge looks at Fred and says, what right have you to be merry, Fred? You're poor enough. Fred looks back and says, what right have you to be so dismal? You're rich enough. Here's the point. Happiness will always elude the stingy man. Joy is the reward of the generous. And all I'm practically saying to you is this. Take this actionable step and go home and use it this Christmas. Here's what you need to do. This Christmas, you need to be start thinking now, who can I help? Who can I give to? What do I not need that I can give away? Conscientiously attempt to not be covetous. Let's move on to the third perk of contentment. Number one, the first perk of contentment is supernatural flexibility. I'm happy no matter what. Number two, circular generosity. The more I give, the more God gives back to me. The more content I am, the more generous I am with others. Number three, abundance and plenty. Say it with me. Abundance and plenty. Say it again. Abundance and plenty. The craziest part is that abundant provision is promised to the generous and the content. This is what's, what's mind-blowing about this. You want a secret formula of how the world works? I'm, I'm literally giving you an ancient secret right now. It's this. You become content with what God has in your life. You're happy in the position, in the power, in the provisions, in everything you have. You're content. What will happen is you'll become generous. And then when you become generous with others, 
God gives you more plenty and abundance. And then you're content with that, so you give away more. And the more you give away, the more God says, ooh, I can bless this person even more. And you're fine no matter what because you learn to be content way back here. That's exactly what he says in verses 18 and 19, or 19 and 20, I love it. And the God and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right, Christians that have been around, Facebook Christians, how many of you have seen this verse on social media before? My God shall supply all your needs. According, right? Somebody's struggling, you always say the same verse. God shall supply all your needs. How many have ever seen this, right? Raise your hand. How many have ever seen this? Did you, and it's true, but did you know the verse has a context? What's the context, Pastor? Paul, a guy in prison, is telling a group of people that God's going to supply all of their needs because they were content and generous enough to give to others. God will supply everyone's needs according to his riches. Does God supply for everybody's needs all of the time? According to this passage, God will supply all your needs according to his riches. In context of the fact that they were generously giving to others. Oh, friend. <laughs> all I want for you is to be happy. More, more so, I'm just a messenger from him. And he genuinely wants you to have joy or the book of Philippians would have never been written. So from prison, a guy is telling us how to be happy. How are you happy? He's like, no, I've, I've, no matter what situation I find myself, I'm happy. How do you do it, Paul? He understands that happiness is not found in possessions. Happiness is not found in prestige. Happiness is not found in power. Happiness is found in a person. And that person's name is Jesus Christ. Oh, friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, today he wants to save your soul. And he wants you to understand and learn the great principles of the Word of God that will bring daily joyful happiness back into your life every single moment. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, I am grateful for the book of Philippians. I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit of God inspired a prisoner to write out some words to a small church in Macedonia so that we could read them millennia later. And now, as God, we have studied it these two and a half to three months, I pray that these principles would stick in our mind, that we would go back to our copy of Scripture and study them over and over so that the enemy who comes to steal, kill, and to destroy would not steal away our daily happiness. Thank you for being such a good God who loves us. Help us to pass this message on to others. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. If God has used this message to impact your life, we would love to hear from you please send an email to connectdesk at southernhillslv.com. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at southernhillslv.com slash give. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this church in Las Vegas to reach God's people around the world.